We are putting our study of Ephesians on hold for a week. And it's only because, having prayed through some situations, I was amazed at how burdened I became over what I'm seeing. And I think it's important that if you're not seeing it, that you do see it. Now I will say this, if I have a tone today that is ungracious, recognize that that is not my intent whatsoever. I'm not mad at anybody in this room. I stand corrected. (laughs) Two days ago, in Chicago Heights, a massive fire was set at a factory. February 17th, Detroit, Michigan, a train carrying toxic chemicals suddenly came off the track into a collision. February 13th, in Norrie, South Carolina, another train with toxic chemicals came off the track. February 3rd, East Palestine, Ohio, another train came off the tracks filled with vinyl chloride that had spilt out everywhere. And the sweeping answer of how we were going to deal with this predicament by those in charge was to siphon it all into trenches and burn it. Which when you do that, it immediately develops a magnetism toward water which affects not only our atmosphere, but also the Ohio River. Which drained into the river, which has now reached and seen the effects as far as West Virginia. Will eventually make its way down, covering Illinois, Indiana, moving into Tennessee, hitting parts of Mississippi and Louisiana. I have a list here from January 1st of 2022 to May 23rd of 2022 of cattle and poultry processing plants, grain silos, food processing that have all been set on fire in different places all throughout the U.S. just in a five-month period of time. Our country is under attack from within. Some of you are already going to not like this message. But my goal is not to be negative. That is not my goal. My goal is to bring something positive because as the day goes on, I'm becoming increasingly aware that there is no hope here. There's none. What's amazing is this February 3rd train collision in Ohio was kept secret from the media. 
They were not allowed to report on it. And then we want to stand broad-chested parading the First Amendment. There's no hope. It's not until ten days after. So if you have a toxic chemical spill that is affecting both your water and your air, you now have the potential of acid rain that is going to take place in a region. And you don't tell a people for ten days what kind of damage do you think that does. You say, what do we do? What can you do? Well, we can pick it. Okay? Saw some guys picketing down here the other day. White lives matter. I want to go call Delano and be like, let's go down there and hang out. Let's share the gospel with these people. See what's going on. I had to explain to my son what was going on. You can tell he was looking at me like, man, racism is so stupid. I'm like, yeah. I know what we need to do. We need to just nominate better representatives. I mean, we haven't tried that yet. It is a broken process. In fact, what you find out is is that almost everyone is bought and paid for. We have incredible increases of suicide in our country. We have a ridiculous amount of sexual promiscuity. We have the people telling us that eventually we're going to have to eat bugs because meat is unsustainable. We have our good friend Klaus Schwab at the World Economic Forum this past year talking about what it is to be the master of the world. You've got his little crony, Yuval Harari, talking about our goal is to destroy the spirit and the soul of human beings and to know what they think as they think them so that we can control them. All of this information about Jesus Christ is just fake news. Now, if you're anxious, my goal is to help you. If you're worried, my goal is to lead you to calm. Because we would have every reason to be anxious and worried if we called this earth our home. If this is where I really lived, there would be a problem. And one thing that we recognize is that we don't live here. We need to grasp that truth. If the Bible is true, then you and I don't live here. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you don't live here. You actually live in Christ. And He has promised you exceedingly far and better things. There is no hope in this world. There's none. We have to stop looking for it. Because looking for it is what has led us away from Christ, not toward Him. We expect better of people to be good people. Newsflash, they're not. Newsflash, 
I'm not. Newsflash, you're not. There's only one who is good. There's only one that we look to. And if there is to be any real, true, genuine hope that we cling to with any sort of confidence whatsoever, it cannot have any element of self in it. This is why grace pours over out of what Jesus Christ has done onto people. Because they weren't needed for the process. They actually created the problem of which the process became necessary. Now, on what would be considered a much smaller scale, and the disappointment that I have in our government officials for not responding to these things, creates an incredible amount of suspicion that they're still creating the same problems just on a smaller scale than sin and hell and death and the need of salvation. Understand this. At least four times, I believe that it is. I might be wrong. Don't judge me on that. At least four times Jesus says, Satan is the God of this present age. That's out of his mouth. We shouldn't expect anything different. Now let me say this. God is not interested right now in redeeming the world proper. He is interested in providing salvation for the people of the world. He's not worried about palm trees. Not right now he's not. He'll redeem that later when his son assumes the throne. He'll deal with those issues later. But right now it really is a situation of the urgency of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what's amazing for the people of God is that they have a definite hope. Whether you want to follow on your page or whether you want to turn there, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians 4 this morning. We are coming out of incredible exhortation if we were to hit the ground running that Paul is giving to the Thessalonians. He says such things as you don't need anyone to really talk to you about how to walk with the Lord. You're doing that, so do it all the more. We could talk about what it is to love one another in brotherly love. But guess what, Thessalonians? You don't really need explanation on that because you're already doing that. So do it all the more. And Paul is cheerleading this situation. Then he takes a turn in verse 13 that is a really good break in order to explain something about why we would ever do anything good on this earth. Why we would ever want to respond favorably to one another in the time that we have here. Because it gives way to something greater. So if you have your pen out, if you'd like to follow along with me, I encourage you to do so. What is the first word that verse 13 starts with? But. So we have a transition that is taking place. Look here. We, Paul included, do not want you, the Thessalonians, to be uninformed. Some of your translations might say ignorant. There's a possibility of operating your life not knowing about something that you must know. Have you ever done that? You come across a situation and you say something like, I wish I would have known that yesterday. 
Because it would have made all the difference in the world of the people that you talked to and the choices that you made and what you decided to do. I want you to know this, fellow Christians, because it changes everything. You need to be informed. Notice, he calls them brethren, which means that they are saved people. They are redeemed as he is redeemed. About those who are asleep. This is the subject that is under situation because there was a problem with an archaleptics. No, that's not what we're dealing with. There's a problem with people who are believers in Jesus Christ who have died. And the Thessalonians knew enough to expect the Lord to return. But they were so anticipating this return of the Lord, they thought it would occur in their time, very soon. In fact, there's nothing in the Scriptures that would lead us away from thinking that the return of Jesus could be at any moment. Just read the last few verses of Revelation. John expected it. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Even he was looking forward to this. This is the hope of which every believer in this time we're banking on, but there was a problem. Wait a second. Schmitty believed in Jesus, but Schmitty passed away. What happens to Schmitty? Same thing that happened to Smithers, because he passed away too, and they both believed in the Lord. Schmitty, Smithers. All right? Love it. What I love is they looked at each other. And the look on Jeff's face was, how dare he say something about us? This is those who have passed away, but they didn't just pass away. The reason why they talk about being in sleep, and this is not a soul sleep, they're just kind of dormant until then, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. We're clear on that. But they've passed away in their perfect location, in Christ. I don't want you to be ignorant about believers who have passed. So that, remember, when the New American Standard uses that, you're looking at a reason why they don't need to be ignorant. The reason is, is so that you will not grieve as they pass, like other people do. Why? Because normal grieving deals with the idea that something abnormal has taken place. In God's scope of history and His creation, death is not normal. It is abnormal. We grieve at death because we look at it and we say it's wrong. When we're told that the wages of sin is death, we are seeing the outplay of depravity. So everything in us strikes up this protest. Wait, this isn't right. It shouldn't be this way. Don't you know how much they meant to me? And when death is very personal, you have to ask yourself the question, where is the comfort in that? Knowing that they're a believer, how should I think about this, Paul? Help me. I thought they were triumphant over death. Why did death take my loved one from me? There's a difference here. Grieving is right. Even Jesus, the master of all, wept at the death of his friend Lazarus. What did he do right after that? Anybody remember? Raised him. Does he have the power to do that? Yes. He's God in the flesh and He still wept over death. Everybody see that? 
That tells us there's something deeply wrong with the human condition and human expiration. But notice, you will not grieve as do the rest who have no, and this is our word, they have no hope. Someone who does not have Jesus Christ as their Savior is a person with no hope. You might be able to think of someone right now. You might be that person. If you're here today, and you have never believed in the fact that Jesus Christ died in your place for your sin, you are someone that is hopeless. Why? No one escapes death unless you're a believer. And that's exactly what Paul wants to communicate. For, here's our good old causal conjunction. We have this major thesis statement up the top. I don't want you to grieve as others. Don't be ignorant about this fact. And now, Paul is going to prove it. Let me tell you why. If, We believe that Jesus died and rose again, right? Cross, resurrection. Do you believe that? If that's the case, even so, in the same way, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep In Jesus. The dead in Christ. If Jesus died and rose again, He rose again for one of many reasons, but one of the most profound ones is to give you hope. Because you will rise again. That sounds like a fairy tale. Then you don't believe the Word of God. And you need to find where it's wrong for me because I can't find it. We have a promise by inspiration of the Holy Spirit that death is not the end and it does not have the final say. That Satan is defeated and that there is hope apart from everything that he controls. Understand this. If you don't have Christ, you don't have hope. Christ is our hope. God will bring with Him. Now notice that necessitates the idea of a return of some sorts. Okay? Those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Think about what he said. If Jesus has died and raised again, when he comes back in a return situation, he's going to bring those with him who have fallen asleep. And you say, well, wait a second. How is that possible? Here is the reason why. And I don't have enough room to write this. But, we are made up of three parts. Think of it in concentric circles is the easiest. The innermost part that is connected to God directly is our spirit. The second layer would be considered our soul. It's where your mind, your will, and your emotions operate. The outer core is your body. So, when we're dealing with situations that are sinful in nature and we're committing sin, it's because the sin nature in us is aroused to commit that. How did that happen? Because it came in through our eyes or it came in through what we hear, or what we happen to touch. And it causes our mind and our will and emotions to say no to the Spirit within us, 
and instead to follow out and outplay the manifestation of sin that is rooted deeply within. When Jesus Christ comes into the, into the picture, He does a complete demolishing and spring-cleaning situation of our spirits, makes our spirit righteous, decides He's going to move all of His stuff in, back up the U-Haul and get all the stuff out, and He takes up residence within our spirit so that we can begin living Jesus' type of life from the inside out. The body is the last part to see that. So when we pass away, the body is buried. But this section here, spirit and soul, all of this goes to be with that left side drives me crazy. Be with the Lord. I don't know what it is about that area. Some Windex will take care of it. To be with the Lord. So when Jesus returns, He's going to bring the spirit and souls of those who have passed away with Him. Why? Because there's a uniting, there's a reunion that needs to take place. And it's a reunion of a supernatural kind. For causal conjunction, let me explain that one to you, Paul's saying. This we say to you, we, Paul's saying, all those who love him, somebody, can he answer that? Tell them we're in church, they should know that. Say to you, notice this, by the word of the Lord, which means that it is divine, good grief, it's terrible spelling, divine revelation. Paul didn't sit in a philosophy class and get this. Jesus has revealed to him something specific about the return that issues hope to people who have had Christians who have died that they loved. We say by a word of the Lord that we who are one, alive, and two, remain until, everybody see the word until? Stay there, clock. It's a timing word. We who are alive and remain, now think about when he's writing, probably around 50 A.D., some 2,000 years almost ago. And in doing so, he has this anticipation about this event. Give it to me, give it to me. Yes, we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, talked about before, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. The dead in Christ. What's he saying? Those of us who are breathing animated folk, who still have our spirit and souls within us, are not going to go to see the Lord before the dead do. The dead get to see Him first. What? Pays to be dead. My best friend, who died of leukemia years ago, he was always the guy that got the upper hand in every situation. And we were sitting there, and his wife's just sobbing, and you know, what do you say in a situation like that? She looked at me, she goes, Jeremy, it's just like him to see the Lord first. It's just like him. The dead will see him first. Not much first. 
but a smidgen first. For, let me explain to you why that happens. So Paul brings up another explanation. The Lord Himself. Now why does Paul bring that up? Look at this. It's personal. Jesus takes the retrieval of His people off of this literally God-forsaken planet personally. He's excited about coming to get us. He's excited about us being with Him always. In fact, when He describes it in John, He says, I tell you the truth. In my Father's house are many mansions. Now let that sit on your brain for a minute because that's what it literally means. You walk inside the house and there's mansions and mansions and mansions. If, and he even says this, if it weren't true, I wouldn't tell you. I think that's so funny. Because, well, Jesus is God. And yet, thanks a lot, Jesus. Okay, yeah. I'll tell you the truth. I'm going to come back and get you and you will be with me always. Always. In other words, when this takes place, there will never be another time in all of eternity where physically we will not be linked specially with Him in His presence forevermore. Now that's a good place to be. The understatement. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven, that's the location that He comes from, with a shout. Now here's what's amazing. He's coming and He's shouting. We're not even going to have time to go, Woo! We're going to go, what? That's how quick it is. In the twinkling of an eye, we're going to see that in a minute. With a shout, with the voice of an archangel, a high-ranking military celestial figure in the Lord's regime is going to personally stand over to give this event the honor that it deserves, spiritually speaking. And notice, with the trumpet of God. Now we're going to see that here again in a little bit when we look at another passage. But I want you to do something for me. You can look at this later. Write down Numbers 10. And the reason is, is you can look at that later. The importance of the blowing of the trumpet in Yahweh's name was always used for Israel to assemble His people before Him. How do we know that we should come together as a group and get before the Lord? That's how we know. When they sounded the horn, everybody was to collect in His presence. So this idea of blowing a trumpet just isn't like, and go! That's not it. It is the idea of saying, we're all getting with the Lord now. So you have a shout, you have an archangel presiding over the situation, and you have a loud trumpet calling the assembly together. Notice this. And the dead in Christ, that's why it pays to be in Christ, glorious location, will rise first out of the graves. I always make the joke with you guys here, you're cremating everybody. Stop it. Making the Lord's job harder. That'll sit on you for a minute. Well, yeah, yeah, wait, oh, wait a second, it's God. He can do it in a moment, can he? Boom. You almost want to do that just to see him do it. 
you know. I'm not making it harder for God. I'm making it way cooler for me when it happens. Right? Think about it. I have a really dark, morbid sense of humor, by the way. Forgive me. Those who passed away, the Thessalonians who are grieving, actually get the hope before we do. But notice it comes at a moment in time. And when these things are set off, the dead will, boom, burst out of the ground and do that. You say, that's impossible. Pause. Everybody remember when Jesus said, it is finished, and he gave up his spirit and he died? Anybody remember what Luke tells us happens after that? It says the graves opened up, and those who had believed in the Lord stood up and actually walked amongst the people. You have people today that will tell you, well, that's just figurative. That didn't really happen. Try telling the people who saw that, that explanation. There was a testimony that God had done great things. And when He does things in the past, we need to pay very close attention because He's giving us a precursor for the way that He looks to do these things in the future. If you haven't guessed it yet, we're talking about the doctrine of the rapture. You say, well, how is that possible? Enoch was raptured. We're going to argue with that. Elijah was raptured. We're going to argue with that. Philip was raptured. Talking to the Ethiopian eunuch. Led him to faith in Christ. Baptized him. Gone. God brought him back somewhere else. That wasn't a beam me up Scotty moment there. God doing fantastic things. The rapture is nothing more than God working in ways that He's chosen to work in the past, just doing it on a grand scale according to a solid promise of salvation. This is the salvation of our bodies. Remember, He's bringing spirit and soul with Him for those who passed away. It's time to reunite them with their bodies. So notice, the dead in Christ get to rise first. Then, after the dead go first, we... Oh my gosh, what does that tell you? It doesn't just tell you that Paul includes himself. It tells you that Paul expected it. Now Paul died in 68 AD by beheading at the hands of Rome. He expected it. That means that in all of his understanding and teaching from the Lord Jesus and everything he learned from the apostles, he never once ever had the notion of it not happening in his time. Never. It's imminent. At any moment it could take place. You say, well, we're 2,000 years on the other side of this. What happened? Let me ask you this. Is it still imminent? Is it closer now than when Paul expected it? Should our attitude be any different from Paul's? No. Maybe today, Lord. Maybe today will be the last day. Maybe today will be the last hour. But you don't understand. I want my kids to grow up. Why? Who are they going to marry? You see choices kids are making today? You see what the world's doing to kids today? And you want them to continue to grow up in this? You're clinging to some sort of American dream garbage that we've been sold that's not true? It's not true! It doesn't exist! It never existed! Well, in the Reagan administration, don't you? No! (laughs) 
you guys know that today is the anniversary day of Executive Order, I think it's 9066. Are you familiar with this? Where Roosevelt gathered up a lot of Japanese Americans. Gone. That's the way we treat people. Does that sound like hope? Not for those people. Our society is wrong. Our thinking is wrong. Our methods are wrong. Our verbiage is wrong. Our thinking is wrong. Our spoon-fed media is wrong. Those people that control all that garbage are wrong. You want to have some fun someday? Do some Google images of Klaus Schwab and see what he does in his free time. He looks like a naked fairy out in the middle of a beach. You find a better description, you tell me. But that's not somebody who's mentally stable enough that I want running the world. And if he gets that opportunity, thank the Lord he's not going to have it for long because Jesus is going to come back and rip that crown off of his head and lay him in the dust. That's so mean. I ain't got no problem with it. I hate sin. I hate my own sin. And you know what? If we have to be honest, just between you and me, don't tell anybody else, I kind of hate his sin a little bit more than mine. Because all of it's unrighteousness. And the only reason why I can do that with a clear conscience is because I know that there's only one hope and it ain't me. I've got to look outside of myself to have any sort of hope. Paul expected it. He refers again with the same type of designation. We who are A, alive, and B, remain, will be caught up together with them, the dead in Christ. Get your literal word out sometime and look this word up. Arpazzo, snatch up. It's the idea that the magician has the table set with fine china, grabs the edge and, and it's all still there. He harpazzoed the tablecloth. That's what he's telling us that the Lord is going to do. He's going to take Christians, usually when you're not expecting it, so make sure that your hand's not in the cookie jar, gone. You won't be here anymore. You don't need Nicolas Cage or Kirk Cameron to help you think that's believable. Jesus says that it is. Gone. We're actually told in 2 Thessalonians 2 that when we're gone, the restrainer who is holding back the rampant evil that would be incited by the presence of the Antichrist the restrainer, the Holy Spirit, actually leaves, in a sense, with us. Why? Because He's indwelling. Gone. If we're alive when this event happens, gone. You know what that means? Everyone can be as evil as they've always wanted to be because God has removed His hand from holding them at bay. His kids are out of the way. And this is the future that you guys wanted? Go for it. They actually have a name for it. It's called the Tribulation. That's how awesome it is. So I'm being taken out. The dead in Christ go first. Paul expecting it to happen in his time. 
he designates himself as the one who remains or those who are alive, will then be caught up together with the dead. Notice where? In the clouds. That's the destination. Now, if you notice on the back of your sheet you're marking on, is mine like that? I don't have it like that. This one like that? It is. I pulled a copy out of Mark, Mark Hitchcock's book called The End. And when I copied this out of there, because I was able to do it digitally, put it on, the lines didn't come with it. So if they're crooked, that's my fault. But I want you to see the classifications of these. The second coming of Christ is not the same as the rapture. They are not the same event. There are way too many discrepancies. These are, what is this, probably like 12? There's at least 15 that I know of. There's probably only 12 on this paper, but this was an easy way to put this information so that you could see it. We're going to be in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Clouds, air, doesn't sound like on earth. He's not going to step here at that time. And so, we, who's that? Dead and living. Why? Because we're both in Christ right now, but then we will be with Christ. Now, here's what I love about this. Two things. Number one, therefore, because of all of this that he's explained, what's our job to do during this present evil age? Comfort one another with these words. Have you ever had a believer come and comfort you with the fact of the rapture? No. Man, I just lost all my savings in the stock exchange. Guess what? The rapture's coming. You're like, that doesn't make me feel any better. It should. Because our hopes wasn't in stock investments anyway. Ultimately, Blackstone is not going to do anything for you. Investing in Jesus Christ always pays dividends in spades. Comfort one another with these words. How do you deal with the present calamities of all this garbage that's going on and is documented right before our eyes where people who want to come and investigate on this are tackled to the ground, told to shut their mouth and let off in handcuffs? How do we deal with this situation? How do we deal with the fact that our country is being attacked from the inside out? Pray, big deal. Trust, trust what? Trust Christ. You guys are missing my sermon here. Those are good examples, yes. Look for His coming. He's coming again. He's coming again. He's coming again. Guess what? The same comfort is the same answer the next day, regardless of what the problem is they're going to throw to us. You don't have to go off in some darkness retreat to understand that there's only hope in Jesus Christ. I had to get it in there. What's wrong with him? That guy's been looking for Jesus forever. You're not going to find him in there, man. Believe in the Lord. Now, the second great thing about this whole situation is you got more Scripture and we got more time. I love it. Here we go. Turn with me if you want in your Bibles or just look down at the next part because this describes the exact same event. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, the entire chapter, Paul has devoted to the importance of the resurrection for many different reasons. He brings up what the gospel is. He brings up the fact that the Old Testament told us that this is what the gospel would be. 
that Jesus Christ is the fleshing out manifestation of this gospel. But not only that, the fact of if Jesus hasn't ridden, risen, excuse me, we're in super trouble because we're still in our sins. Nobody really paid for them. Why? Because the resurrection is proof that the Father was pleased with the work of the Son. God doesn't grade on a curve as far as sin is concerned. This is why only one person could pay for it, and that payment had to be perfect. A perfect payment from a perfect person who has a perfect righteousness that is God's righteousness. That's the only way it got through. Now, people who want to look at that and say, well, that's so narrow, stop. God's not obligated to save a person. So the fact that he made a way demonstrates the fact that he is full of love and grace. The problem is a lot of people don't like that it's God's way and not their way. Well, pause for just a second. God's way is perfect because he took a very hopeless situation that was going to end in the lake of fire and provided a perfect solution. I think I would trust that better than the works of my hands or the plan I could come up with my mind and heart. That's not a safe place to be. He moves into this area because he wants to connect the idea of resurrection together. The rapture is a physical resurrection of a dead body to meet the Lord in the air. Now I'm going to ask you to do something, markings with one and two, so that you see the differences of the people that he's talking about here. Now notice this. Now I say this, brethren, immediately we tell ourselves these are saved people. This is not possibly unsaved people in here. Not at all. They all believe in the Lord. This is a hope for all of them. Here it is. Now I say this, brethren, flesh and blood cannot, which means no, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. It is impossible for anyone in this form to be an inheritor of God's kingdom. It's absolutely impossible. Which means that this form has got to go away or something's got to happen. Right? We don't just need manis and petties and makeovers. We've got to have something drastic happen. I thought that was funnier in my head. Here we go. Nor, in the same way of negative sense, does the perishable inherit the imperishable? Now, here's what's interesting. This is our first group of people. Our first group of people are the perishable. So next to them, we're going to put a one. And these perishable people need to inherit the imperishable. Okay? They can't inherit that in their perishable form, so something's got to change. So we would do that. We would link them together. Okay? One and one. Okay? Flesh and blood are not suitable for inheriting God's kingdom, so something's got to change. Flesh and blood speaks of living. Perishable speaks of something that has expired. Okay? So those that have expired need to put on something that is not expired. Here we go. Behold, I tell you a mystery. This is going to be important for next week. A fact... Previously hidden, a fact means it's always been true, but now revealed. The rapture was something that people saw in the Old Testament. We know that from Enoch, we know that from Elijah. But it wasn't something that was taught as a doctrine in the Old Testament. Paul now wants to take this and flesh it out for our understanding. 
There's got to be something we need to know about this. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We, everybody see that? There's that inclusive language again. We will not all sleep. What does sleep mean? Die. And it has to do with the idea of being in Christ. But we, there it is again, will all be changed. Notice that this is a negative pronouncement. This is a positive pronouncement. The fact is is that a change needs to happen. Right? Doesn't start with the man in the mirror. Man, you guys got to get on it today. Come on. This is an incredibly sad reason I'm having to do this sermon. I'm trying to be humorous about it. You guys don't care. Okay. Now look what it happens. This change is going to take place, A, in a moment. B, in the twinkling of an eye. Stop. Everybody twinkle your eyes. There you go. Everybody see that? As quick as you blink is how it's going to go down. Notice, at the, uh uh-oh, when? Where did we see this whole trumpet situation? Everybody look back up. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And notice that it told us when this was going to happen. Verse 16, with the trumpet of God. How do we understand this? The assembly of God's people before him. The last trumpet, Numbers 10. For, ooh, causal conjunction in the middle of the sentence. Here we go. The trumpet will sound. And the, who? Wait a second. Isn't that what we just saw beforehand? He brings up the dead first. Now pause for a second. Paul doesn't have anything to gain from that unless it's true. Does that make sense? If this is a really great thing, if this is the greatest thing that could ever happen in your life, and it's going to usher you into an eternity of complete blessedness where you're face to face with the Lord Jesus, you want to cut in the front of that line to get in. So why doesn't he bring up the living first? Because it doesn't happen that way. God has a sequence and an order that he's talked about that it's going to go down. And the dead in Christ get to go first. They will be raised. Now this gives us a lot of understanding of why we marked the one next to perishable and imperishable. The imperishable are the number one group. Good grief. Drives me crazy. Which tells you that the dead and the imperishable are what is meant by that. The dead in Christ are the perishable and imperishable. He's talking about a change that takes place. And we, who are the we? They are those who are alive and remain. Christians presently in the body on earth. We will be changed. It's going to happen for us too. Don't lose hope. It just happens for the dead first. For, let me explain that. This perishable, in that the one group, must put on, that A shouldn't be there, forgive me. The imperishable must put on. You know what must put on is? Must put on is the definition of the change that takes place for the dead in Christ. It's as simple as switching a shirt. It's as simple as putting on socks. 
There's a change that must take place. And that change is the fact that something else has got to be put on. Previously, they had a perishable body, those who had passed away in the Lord. Guess what? There's going to be a change that takes place. And it's going to be a complete overhaul of who that person is. And this mortal must put on immortality. Who are those people? These are the number two people. These are the alive and remain. Now, I know that Paul thought this same thought from everything that we see. But I actually can say this with complete confidence now. Before I'd say it, oh, that sounds kind of religious and pious and holy. That's cool. Now I'm like, yeah, this is, it's getting real real quick. You and I are living in a time of the church age where we may actually see this rapture. You think, well, things have been bad in the world before. Pause. I like this. The world doesn't get better, my post-millennial friends. We don't just need to elect a bunch of Christian officials and have a bunch of Christian representatives to do Christian things to a society that's not Christian. God's not interested in that. He tells us the world is going to tank. Remember, America is not in prophecy. That means that we don't make it to the tribulation period. Now, that's bad for everybody that I need to tell the gospel to. But let's be honest, it's really good for me. And I'm okay with it. And there's nothing wrong with glorying in the fact that God made me a promise and He seeks to fulfill it. I say, praise God, amen, thank you, it's grace, I don't deserve it. Woo! I want to be that shout person. So those who alive and remain, the perishable must put on the imperishable. There's a change that takes place. But also those who are mortal, living, breathing in the flesh now, Christians, you and me, we got to be changed too. Why? Because our flesh and blood cannot inherit that kingdom. That's what God's goal is, is the kingdom. So, but, when, timing word, so we're thinking about a specific time in history, when this perishable, one crowd, will have put on the imperishable, one crowd, and this mortal, two crowd, us a living and remain, will have put on immortality, then, timing, will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Here's what he's telling you. Death is no longer a looming issue. Some people are scared to death of, of death. They are. Let's pick on our good friend Aaron Rodgers real quick. In 2020 and in 2022, he went off to some weird place and drank hallucinogenic tea. I can't say the name of it. Who can say the name? What is it? Ayahuasca. It starts with an A. And it's Ayahuasca. It's like Mike Krzyzewski. Where's Claudia? Claudia, your last name doesn't make any sense either. I've never figured that out. I was looking at the little directory in my phone the other day, and I'm like, I don't know about that. But anyway, are we saying it correctly, Choka? I don't care, but I'm just, you know. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. But anyway, he's going out to drink this hallucinogenic tea. Aaron, you're full of so much drama. Why are you choosing to do this? Well, the reason is it's because I'm scared of death. I have this incredible fear of death. And so that's the way that the world deals with death. How does Jesus deal with death? 
Not only did he conquer it by raising from the dead, but he said, hey guys, if you're in me, I conquered it for you so that you will conquer it. There's going to come a moment where you're going, death. (laughs) Where are you at? Nowhere. Because it doesn't have a sting anymore. The best bee to land on your skin is the one where the stinger is gone. You ain't got a problem then, do you? Sometimes you're even scared to swat it. Why? Stinger might get your hand. That ever happened? Doesn't feel good. But if the sting of death is gone, what threat is it anymore? Some of you in this room might be scared to death of death. Guess what? Jesus conquered death. He's actually told us that there is a time, timing language here, timing language here, where death is swallowed up in what? In victory. Why? Because your salvation has come to completion. He not only justified you and declared you righteous, He set everything in motion so that you can now live a godly life by the power of the Holy Spirit and receiving His Word to promise to bring you to an opportunity to share in the glory of the Son and complete it all because now sin has no presence with you any longer. There's no audience for it. Why? Because you're only consumed with the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why it's quick. Can you imagine blinking and you're face to face with Him? Good grief! Why not today? How cool would that be? I'm so tired of me. Right? I'm ready to take me off and hang me up on a hook. Let's go do some Jesus stuff. Oh, death, where is your victory? Does death win? There's no victory in death. Oh, death, where? Is your sting, is there any sting in it anymore? No, it has no claim on the Christian. None. 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 We have a whole barnyard in this world that is trying the best that they can to be as original as they possibly can. And have found that no matter how far they take it, it's not enough because there's something in the soul that can't be satisfied. And because of poor self-image, because of upbringing, because of abuse, because of the way that the world just is, their solution is to embrace the sting of death and deal with it. That's the best salvation we can come up with. They know the situation's wrong. They know it's bad. They know it doesn't make any sense. They know they need to be rescued out of it. And that's their solution. Guys, we have got to tell people about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ displaying the love of God for His creation. It's got to happen. It's got to. The sting of death is sin. What we deal with every day. How do we know that death is real? Because I can't do right. And it's what I deserve. And the power of sin is the law. Why? Because if we all close our eyes and I tell you not to think of a pink elephant, it's the first thing we're all going to think of. As soon as a law has put in, pla- put in place to tell us no, we start going, mm, maybe. That's what we do. Because there's a sin nature inside of us that has no 
hope apart from a perfect Savior. Death can't do it. Sin can't do it. The law's perfect, but we're not, so the law can't do it. Here's what I love. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what I would say? Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another with the fact that Jesus Christ is the only key to the door. He's the only answer to the question. He's the only salve for the wound. He's only medicine for the sickness. And He is the only hope for this world. Period. If you know Jesus Christ, you have this hope. If you do not know Jesus Christ, listen to me. You need to know Him. We're all leaving. Eventually. I would hate to be on the bus, the click bus, and you're not there. Don't get left behind. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that the gospel is multifaceted in all that you can accomplish through faith in Christ. He died for sins, but he didn't stop there. He rose from the grave, but he didn't stop there. Gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us His Word. He leads us into all truth. He seals us for the day of redemption. And this is what we are talking about. We are talking about the day of our bodily redemption. Father, thank you that the gospel is simple. Lord, we need to make it clear, not muddy it up. But Father, we need people to come across our path. We ask God for divine appointments that you would put into place that we could open our mouths for your name and for their sake so that they one day would be able to stand face to face in your presence. Take this whole world, but give me Jesus. Regardless of what we collect, regardless of what we esteem, regardless of what we value that is here, it is all going to burn in relation to the Lord's return. Maybe some of us need to make hard decisions. Maybe some of us need to rethink our choices as to why we are living and what motivates us to live in this world. But there is nothing more important than the cross of Jesus Christ for sinners. So Father, whatever work that the Holy Spirit does through the Word, May our hearts be receptive to it. May we not say no. May we not slap your hands away. May we believe what Scripture tells us about the future. Hadn't been wrong yet. We will not be wrong in the future. And may we respond in loving obedience. We pray that in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.